Hey, quick question. Who's glad that Jesus loves you? You can raise a hand. You can give a whoop, whoop. You can say amen, whatever you want to do. Here's what I want you to know, that because of what Christ did and what Christ is doing today, you understand Christ's work, although he died and rose, his blood continues to cleanse you right now. Is that good news? So good to know that together we get to celebrate this Savior. Hey, listen, my name is Josh. I'm the teaching minister here at Clear Creek. Some of you are going, I don't remember him before because you missed last week. I'm new. See, that's what happens. If you leave, people change. Don't go anywhere. Be here next week and the week after, and and, and you'll be familiar with everyone. Hey, I want to do something with you this morning before we get started. One of the great gifts of the church throughout history has been her ability to be able to respond and proclaim truth, not just individually, but collectively. And so I'm going to ask you, go ahead and put the slide up. Uh, Will you respond after me? I will say, bless the Lord, if you will say, oh my soul. Here we go. Bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. And that's what we're going to do over the next few minutes. Can, can we just do that? Is that okay? Because he's a good God. Whether you are new here or you've been here for many years, I just want you to know, here's the mission of this particular body of believers. Our mission is very simple. It is our desire to help connect our city to God and to one another. And you go, I... I is that it? Yeah, that's it. That's everything. If we can connect people who don't know Christ and better connect those of us who do to God and to one another, then friends, that is the win that we all are desiring. And today, I'm glad you're here because we're just going to sort of dig into and soak in what that looks like because the reality is, if you're like me, maybe you came to Christ and, and you kind of assumed there were certain steps necessary and, and there were also at, you kind of went through a certain process, but at some point you turn around and you go, well, what's my next step in following Jesus? And I, I just want to talk to you a little bit about our next steps and what it means to help people connect with God and with others. Um, I want to show you something here and just real quick, how many of you know what this is? How many of you know, go ahead and put the slide up on screen here. How many of you know what this is? Oh, it's a brick. Some of you going, oh, great, it's another object lesson. Yes, it is. Back in March, I had the privilege of going with a group to Nicaragua. We were building some bathrooms for a wonderful church there. And it was one of those moments, have you ever had sort of an, an epiphany, a moment where you see something you've seen many times before, but God gives you clarity, and you see something with maybe fresh eyes? Have you, have you had that moment? Back in March, I had one of those moments where a group of us were there building bathrooms. Now, now that's giving us way too much credit. There were a bunch of us gringos <clears throat> who were with a bunch of natives, and the natives put up with us attempting to help them build stuff. And it was embarrassing because we do something, and we thought we did great. We'd come back the next day, and like it looked completely different than how we left it. So I get this picture of through the night, the guys are going behind us going, oh, this is how you do it, and they fix it, get it ready. But it was one of these neat things. They, they said, well, what we want you to do is help us build bricks to make not little ones, but the big concrete cinder blocks. We said, great, how do we do that? And they said, well, it's very simple. They pointed over to this big mound of sand, but it wasn't just sand, it was mixed with all sorts of other junk. Bits of glass, dirt, giant pieces of rock, all sorts of debris, trash. 
And they said, here's what we want you to do. We want you to, we want you to take that and we want you to sift out the junk and make a pure sand pile. And then you take that pure sand and we're going to mix it with water and with cement and we're going to stir it together and it's going to become something that it wasn't before. And then we're going to put it in these forms and the once fluid and messy cement and sand and water will be formed into something useful and it will be strong and it will be good. And as I watched this process, I began going, oh my goodness, that is what God has done for each one of us in Christ. Starts off where if you know your life before Christ, if it was anything like mine, you understand that you were kind of a useless pile of junk. There was stuff in you that you just, maybe you knew shouldn't be there, but you really didn't know what to do about it. Or maybe you, you didn't even recognize the junk in your life. I know that was the case in, in my life in some ways. But then God comes along and he begins to say, hey, we need to deal with some of this. He says, let's sift out the garbage. And if you want to sort of track the process of Christ followership, it starts where we're all sort of this pile. We're not useful. We're kind of useless. But God comes along and he begins to say, let's sift out the junk. And this, by the way, family, there's a biblical word that describes the reality of sifting that's called repentance where we turn away from what we are doing and we turn towards the life-giving God who says, this cannot continue. You walk towards me and away from these things. And so then there's sort of this, there's a sand that's maybe able to be useful, but it's still not put into play. It's not done. And so there's this process in Christ followership that you then are mixed with water. And we do that right over here when people say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But just like The sand with the water, it needs something more than just a warm bath to be changed. It needs the activating agent, concrete for sand, Jesus and his precious blood for us. And we meet Christ in the water and he changes us from outside in and we become this new substance. And then we go through this process of becoming Christ-like. He is forming us into his image, his picture, how we ought to be. Now, here's where I think many of us get to quite easily. We say, all right, I've gone through those steps. Yippee, I'm done. End of the story. And then God gave this wonderful final picture in my mind while I was looking at this process. And it shouldn't have been such a shock because our big brother in the faith, Peter, talks about this image in the first book of Peter, chapter 2. Let's stand together and read together from 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. It says this, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message. 
which is also what they were destined for. Now, here we go. Pay real close attention to this. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And the whole church said, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you in this beautiful jigsaw puzzle called the church are forming and fitting and placing us on top of and around one another with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone of everything. I pray this morning as we look at this text, you will reveal to us things that we need to know so that we can be who you've called us to be. We thank you and we ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So Peter likes the illustration of stones, rocks, or bricks. Now, I kind of think it may be because the nickname Christ gave him, remember, Peter's name before being called Peter was Simon, but then Jesus comes along and says, Simon, nah, I'm going to call you Peter, Petros, the rock. Not Dwayne Johnson, but Peter, the rock, okay? And so Peter goes, this is a great image, a great illustration for what God is doing and longs to do with his people. And in fact, as we're in a season of connection, I'm going to beg you, please don't check out for the next few minutes. Because what we're going to look at here, I, it has been a recent discovery in the 20 some odd years that I've followed Jesus. And this is one of those things I wish I had seen and understood Earlier. Now, many of you, you're farther along in your journey, and this is going to be just a recap, but there are going to be some in here who need to hear this so deeply. So if, if you're like an old-timer and you know all this, hey, just lean in, look engaged. That'll encourage those around you, okay? I mean, like, don't pull out your inflatable pillow, you know, your blanket or whatever else. I had a friend who was a preacher, and whenever someone would start to doze off, no joke, he had people positioned in the audience with super soakers. How many of you know what a super soaker is? It's like an oversized water pistol. All right, so you see where this is going. We're not going to do that, but just stay with me here. And here's the bottom line. If you want to jot this down in the back of the bulletin, you might want to just put this in here. Here's the bottom line. If you don't remember anything else today, here it is. Go ahead and put this up, please. There's a community that can only be experienced in Christ, and there's a Christ that can only be experienced in community. This is what Peter's saying. There is a community that can only be experienced in Christ, and there is a Christ who can only be experienced in community. Now you say, a Christ? Okay, we're going to unpack this. I want you to see this. Three things. Here's what Peter is going to say to us. It is in community, number one, that we know Jesus Christ. Look at what he says in verse 4 and 5. He says, as you come to Jesus... Now, notice this. He is talking not to people who are not yet Christ followers. He's talking to those who have already given their lives to Christ. And yet he is still saying, you, already made into the image of God, still have work to do. Your journey is not over. But as a Christ follower, as you continue to come to Jesus, the living stone, notice what he says. You are being built into something. That's a curious thing. If you'll notice, he says, as you come, talking to everyone, you also, like living 
Stones, by the way, English majors, is the word stones with an S on the end. Is that singular or plural? Oh boy, let's, let's, okay, singular means one, plural means many. Okay, let's try this again. Stones, is that singular or plural, church? Plural, he's talking to all of us, he's talking to everyone. And by the way, if you just want to, you may want to nudge someone next to you and say, you're you're sort of like a, a block of rock. You know, I mean, no, don't do that, don't do that, okay? But you also, like living stones, you plural, notice this though, are being built into a spiritual house, one spiritual house. He does not say that each one of you individually are being built into a house, but we collectively are being built together into a house, but not just any house. Do you notice what kind of house? A spiritual house. In the ancient world, what were the houses of worship called? Do you know what the ancient houses of worship were called? Temples. He is saying to people just like you and me who would have heard this letter read to the entire congregation, he's saying you individually are together being built into a temple. Now here, here's the problem with us 21st century Americaners. We are so used to this, we don't get the radical statement being made by Peter to his audience. You see, in the ancient world, If you wanted to touch the divine, if you wanted to touch God, if you wanted to be near to God, you went to temple. It didn't matter what the religion was. This was universally true. So if you were, oh, if you were a Gentile who worshipped one of the many Greek or Roman gods, you would go to the particular temple of that god. So you go to the temple of Zeus or Artemis or Diana, or you'd go to this particular god's temple, this stone-on-stone building, and when you came into that building, they believed they could touch the divine. This is also true in the Jewish tradition, is it not? You'd go to temple to make sacrifice. In fact, there was that curious moment that we, we didn't really get a chance to look at last week where Jesus, with a Samaritan woman, as they're talking, she begins to debate Jesus on where they must go to meet God. You remember this. We Samaritans worship on this mountain, but you Jews in Jerusalem, which one's the right place? And Jesus makes a profound prophetic statement that it's not about the place, it is all about the people of God. And Peter is making a statement that would have been overwhelming to his audience. If, if you and I were to go through this ancient world, we would look for a house of worship. We'd look for a place where we would see, oh, this is the house of the Jewish God. This is the house. But he's, he said people would be shocked. You wouldn't go and you wouldn't find a temple. Rather, he is saying that if you want to touch the divine, if you want to be close to God, hear me now, family. You don't go to a temple. You get with Christians. This would have been astounding to the first hearers who thought, well, wait a minute, don't we have to go to a building? And he's saying, no, you, when you are together, you will touch God, you will connect with God in a way and in unique ways that you will never connect or touch God on your own. And we know this to be true, don't we? There are some things in the Christian world that we can only do together, correct? Now, I'm not just talking about potlucks. I mean, there there are other things we can do Together, 
And in fact, this is one of the beautiful things that as we rub shoulder to shoulder with Christ followers, we begin to see the character and nature and love of God in ways that on our own, you may know a lot about God through Bible study. You may even experience God in moments of worship and praise, but there is a depth of truly knowing the heart of your Father God only when you live closely with Christians. Now, notice this is really kind of important because, again, we think, okay, great. I'm in church. This is the moment. I am with a bunch of blockheads. I am, I mean, it's biblical, right? We, we're all here together, and we're close. No, no, this isn't what he's talking about. Have you ever gone and seen a pile of stones somewhere? Maybe sort of like, you know, sort of like this. They're just sort of scattered next to one another. You and I would not look at a giant stone pile and say, wow, they are fulfilling the purpose for which they were created. Understand that following Jesus is not about gathering horizontally in a room like this. It is, notice the illustration, that it is a being stacked one on top of the other, life on life, pressed together, not distance. And by the way, have you noticed that in church, we like to be in relative proximity to people, but not like really, really, really close to people? You know what I'm talking about. You get here early. Maybe you're like me. I remember in the old days where, you know, it's all pews, right? You come, and, and these are so much better because you've got like your own little barrier with each one of these seats, don't you? There's a line. Do not cross this line, for if you do, the wrath. So maybe, though, you know, the little space you have, it's just not quite wide enough, so you kind of stretch out, you know, one on each arm. You know what I'm talking about there. You kind of, I'm not a big dude, but even I can get two or three seats out of my arms, Okay. This is not what it's talking about. The idea is that when we come together, it is not simply to listen, but it is to open up and share life, that we are pressed one on another. In fact, as we come into community, we know Jesus together, but we also, here's the second thing he's going to say, we actually grow in Jesus together. How do we grow in this community? How does this work? It's life on life. It's honesty, it's openness, it's transparency. In fact, this is what he says. Notice this interesting word here in verse 5 and 9. Talking about the Christ followers, he says, you all are a holy priesthood. And then in verse 9, a holy nation. And that word holy, you've heard it before, but it's one of those big $10 church words. Here's all it means. Set apart for a purpose which means if the world or the culture or the identity of this culture around us is corrupted and polluted, then to be holy means we are unpolluted, we are pure, we live different lives. And God is actually saying through our big brother Peter that if you want to become a holy person, it happens in community. Here's why. I thought I was a pretty holy person when I was by myself. But then I got married. I thought I was the kindest person I had ever met. I've shared this before. I thought I was the most pure person I'd ever met. And then I got married. I can look very pure and holy and righteous and good when I'm by myself and only showing up for Sunday. It's different when I go home with part of the church. You know what I mean? Let me just tell you, some of our moments of deepest fellowship 
wink, wink, as a husband and wife have been when I have not been behaving a particular way. In fact, I thought I was a good guy. You know, I'd get the laundry. I'd, I'd get it in the basket or around the basket. I thought, oh, I'm a clean guy. And then I get married and I realize, no, I'm a slob. I thought I was very thoughtful. And then I realized, oh, no, it's late. I'm supposed to be home, but that's been three hours ago. Okay, I've gotten over some of this. But it's when you press on with someone else, you begin to see and God begins to graciously show areas of growth. Have you ever had those moments? They're not always fun, but they are necessary. Now, it's interesting. Let's go back to our illustration of a building being built up. You have stones that are stacked on top, but if you go to any sort of structure, you'll notice that it's not just brick on brick or stone on stone, but there is this substance that's placed between, it is the glue that holds it together. Understand that there is a difference between just common relationships and Christian relationships, and it is that Christ is the glue that binds us together. As you come to Jesus Christ, he makes us a people, and he makes us holy as we interact one with another. I was thinking about it this week. This brick actually came from Aubrey's house. Uh, everybody know Aubrey? Yeah, yeah, he's the 12-foot guy who, who is out here and stuff, but our senior high minister, Aubrey, he found this. He was actually cleaning out, uh, if I understand correctly, like the backyard and the front yard and all around the yard, because his house uh, has been owned by a few people, and one or two tenants before or owners before was a mason, and so he had like bricks everywhere. And so Aubrey actually had the pleasure of picking up hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these bricks and throwing them away. And I was just thinking how sad it is for anything to not meet its purpose because it was just not plugged in. Understand that for you to fulfill your purpose, you're going to have to let God plug you into the wall of the church to serve a purpose beyond yourself. And just thinking about sort of this, this wall, this picture, this idea of a temple, if we were to walk around outside this building, we'd see stone in the front. And if, if we went to maybe some of your houses, you'll, you'd see brick walls or you'd see stone walls. Or, or maybe if you go next door to Food City, you'll see brick and all. Interestingly enough, that you have brick and stone and different kinds of building materials that make different buildings for different purposes. But to be a part of one building means that you are no longer able to live for the purpose of any other building. You are fastened and fixed for the purpose of building up and joyfully connecting with others in the name of Jesus Christ and for the glory of the world. That he puts you in here and we grow not just wholly when it comes to things that are bad in us, but have you ever thought about, and I wish we had a wall or actually we could just look here, have you noticed like you know, some of us are, are different shapes and different sizes? And yet a master craftsman knows the right shape, the right size for the right place. He knows exactly where to put you and to place you, to fasten you and fix you. But one thing that occurs to me is that this block right here, if it were to come out of the wall, would it negatively impact the wall? Oh, yeah. Because there are other blocks on top of this one who get their strength from this particular block, and God has placed you in this place, this time, with certain people, and if you're not here, there are others who will be weaker without you. Jesus, the night before he was betrayed, talked about this beauty of serving others, and throughout his ministry, he would say crazy things like, if you want to be the greatest, you'll become the servant of others. This block 
is the servant of those above it. That it's placed here to support and encourage those that come after. God has put you where you are, that those who come after you will be encouraged and be blessed. And then there are others that are under you, that came before you, who, on whom you gain strength. You understand that without one another, we are not as strong as God has called us to be. We grow in Jesus. I was thinking again about the blocks in Aubrey's yard, and he shared with me earlier, uh, he said, Man, Josh, I thought this was the only one that was left in my yard, but when I was out mowing my lawn, I found three or four others. He said, I'd be going along, all of a sudden, ching, 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 ching. And so he stopped, pulled back, and there's another brick in the yard. And I was just thinking, isn't it interesting that when a brick is by itself, it becomes a danger to itself and to others? That we were never meant to be alone, but we are best when we're together. So it is in community, we know Jesus. It's in community that we grow in Jesus. And then I love this, what he says in verse nine. He says, it is in community that we get to show Jesus. Look at these words. He says, we get to declare the praise of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. I love that word declare. I was thinking about it last night, excuse me, I guess it was about this morning, about 2 a.m., when my daughter began to declare that she was not able to sleep very well, I don't think Lindsay heard because, anyway, so I, I, I hear it and so I get up and I go in and, and, and boy, she was declaring that she did not want to be asleep. She was stuffy nose, excuse me, it was stuffy nose. And so she woke us up. She was declaring something about her state. And it's such an interesting picture that not only are we being built up together to encourage one another to be developed into who God has called us to be. But as Andrew so beautifully shared earlier, we are here also to declare the magnificence of God and show the world how great he is because on our own, we are not as great as we are together. I was looking, it's been a number of years since I've been there, but the Washington National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. is one of these beautiful buildings. I've got a picture of it. I'd love to show you real quick here. How many of you have been to Washington, D.C. and maybe seen the cathedral? I mean, isn't it incredible? This is a magnificent building. Just a few facts about the Washington Cathedral. It is the, because of its elevation and because of the height of the building, it is the highest point. It has the highest point in all of D.C., You can see it from far away. It's a magnificent structure that took 83 years to build. And it has all sorts of interesting features to it. In fact, um, it has over 900 what are called boss stones. They're like the big foundational stones that keep it from shifting. And it has tens of thousands of individual stones. Each one average weight is 300 pounds. I mean, these are massive pieces of stone. It's a beautiful cathedral as well. It has over 200 stained glass windows, 53 different bells. I mean, just beautiful, giant pipe organ inside. Gorgeous area. Kind of a curious place because some of our presidents are buried there. Um, They have all sorts of unique features and stuff. There's actually a piece of the moon on display in this particular church, which is kind of a weird thing to have in a church, I think, but, you know, it's in there. Um, In fact, it's still being sort of beautified as we speak. From its inception through now, there are these gargoyle spaces and they're called grotesques that people are actually chiseling out and making new images and different things. In fact, my favorite one is the Darth Vader one that's on there. I mean, really? 
But it's just an interesting, interesting building. Now, here's why I mentioned this to you. Go ahead and go to this next slide here. This building, if you were to get up close to it, you'd see the different blocks that make the cathedral. And on their own, some of them are impressive by their size, or maybe because one's a little unique, but they're not that grand on their own. When they are together, they declare something grand. Do you know it took $65 million to build this thing? $65 million. But it declares something big, doesn't it? This church is made out of dead stone. And yet even the dead stones, Jesus said when coming into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he said, if my people don't shout for joy, even the stones, the rocks will declare the greatness of God. Here's what you need to know. Peter does not say that you and I are dead stones, but we are living stones. And together we declare something. And you say, well, why should I declare something? Here's why. You were paid for by something much more than $65 million. Think with me for a moment. You were bought with the blood of another. Now, how many of you have a family member that you'd be willing to give up for the life of another? Now, if you do, we'll talk later. That's an issue, okay? But Jesus comes and dies for us. He gives his life. Now, it wasn't just some person. Think about this. God died for us. You. How much is God worth, family? I told my friends in Antioch often, you know how much something is worth based on how much someone is willing to pay for it. And when the day came that the world demanded the price of your sins and mine, Jesus Christ stepped up and said, Oh, I've got that covered. And then some. And now as we get to come to him, he says, I'm going to make you into a people. And there are things about me that you'll never know unless you come together and you begin to deal with life and experience the joys and the pains when you're in small group and your conversation circles not just around the latest sports score but about the difficulty in life and you'll begin to know God in a way that you've never experienced before and then you'll become more like him becoming holy as life is pressed on life and the junk that you have in you gets pushed out and you share grace and kindness. I think about all the number of times that it's been in relationship that I've experienced the forgiveness of God from another and I see the depth of how much he must love me if this person can put up with me and then he says and you're going to become a people and you're going to become holy and it's all for the purpose that when the world looks at you he doesn't see individuals he sees a glorious temple that says if you want to meet Jesus if you want to touch Jesus you come on in and he'll pay for you as well and he'll add you to the family so here's all I want you to do. I just want to ask you a couple questions. We're going to call in a morning. Here's my question. Are you bought by the blood of Jesus? Has Jesus come? Has he saved you? If you cannot answer that yes, then today I'm going to ask you, you need to take that next step. Or maybe you say, yes, I, I, he's brought me and bought me, but but. But are you a part of a community? And you, you're here, and that's great. We're so glad you are. But 
For some of us, our next step is to say, how do I need to get into deeper relationship? I know that Evan is doing a fantastic job with our community groups, and he would love to get you into a small group. Uh, If you're not already in a group or a class, this is your next step to find a place where you can get involved. You say, "I, I don't know where. That's an easy thing to fix. Poke the person next to you and say, hey, what group are you in? Could I be in your group, or could we talk about it? Or find Evan, or join us at starting point right out here. So, have you been bought? Are you in community? And here's the third thing. If we were to ask the question, what is your life declaring? What would we say? What is it the one thing that your life, in all of its glory, in all of its work, in everything you do, what is your life declaring right now? Because as we leave this place, that's our next step, to be declarers of the glory of our Savior.